Good morning. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. How are y'all doing today? Yes. I love the clapping. I'm here for it. All right. Happy Sunday. Good morning. Good morning. Today, as Austin said, is Next Gen Sunday. We are a church, a part of a global movement that believes in the next generation. We believe in raising up people to reach the next generation because I, I am young, okay? I don't care what anybody says. However, I was on the college campus and I definitely was talking to this girl and I said, oh my gosh, are you 23? And she looked at me in disgust and said, I'm 18. And I thought, oh my gosh, that means, okay, you think I'm ancient. All right, I'm young. I don't care what she says. But we need the next generation to reach the next generation because it is a fast-moving world. It, there's always something new to discover. There's always a new TikTok dance, a new, a new thing. I uh, had to text some students on how to make a reel on Instagram to engage students. But we need this next generation more than just to make reels, more than just to learn dances, but so that they can spread the gospel. Because although there's new ways to spread the gospel, maybe you're doing it via video. One of our students actually uh, dances. And so in his dancing, he will then put a scripture and lead a devo and then teach you how to dance. That is amazing. I love the creativity in sharing the gospel. Because although the world is changing and it's fast and evolving, the gospel is still the good news that this generation and the generations to come still need. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so today is going to be talking about fighting the good fight. If you're taking notes, you're going to title Fight the good fight. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, um, 11 through 16. But really, my goal today is if you know Jesus and you have um, made him the Lord and Savior of your life, you are going to leave encouraged to fight the good fight, to not give up, to not lose hope of the eternal promise. And if you don't know Jesus, we pray that you would encounter Jesus so you can join in the fight with us. And so as I was praying for this, Um, I was like, Lord, what do we need to say? What do I need to say to encourage your people? What do I need to hear? And on the college campus, the the students, I should say I'm a campus minister. I'm so sorry. If we haven't met, my name's Jaren, and I serve as a campus minister. So I go on the college campus, and I meet students, and then I engage, engage them with the purpose of sharing the gospel in hopes that we would train them up to learn how to disciple, make disciples. And so we have a saying in uh, Every Nation, ENC, honor God, make disciples. And so that's what I get to do. And on the college campus, because it's opened up, and although they're online, they're still going to campus, we met a girl and began to talk to her. And I said, hey, do you have any religious affiliation? And she said, no. I don't like Christians because you're a bunch of hypocrites. And she began to say all of these things about Christianity. And she began to say all of the things about God's people. And so as I encountered her, and then I met people, Christians who were struggling to learning the gospel, to to walking that out, I thought, man, we got to be empowered to fight the good fight of faith, to hold on to what God has said, but also to be a witness to those around us. So when I meet a girl like that, I can say, what hypocrites have you been around? And can I show you a lifestyle of change? Can I show you that I do not live to be a hypocrite, but live to be like Christ? And so the hope is that we would all say that at the end of today. So 1 Timothy 6, 
11 through 16. The background of this Bible, uh, this book, is that Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is um, one of the strong men of faith, and we love Paul, and he is getting ready to die. Not because of old age, not because of sickness, but because of his faith, because of the gospel. And what's beautiful is that we see Paul not shy away and tell Timothy, hey, run, you're going to lose your life for this. But he tells Timothy that it is worth it, that dying for the gospel, for his faith, is worth it. And that's not just for Timothy, but it's also for you and for me. Living a life for Christ, even dying for Christ. If you are brothers and sisters overseas in the Middle East, they are dying for Christ, and they are listening to the words and going, it's worth it. So let's read. Verse 11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about to which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all these things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for today. We are grateful that you have brought us here to learn how to fight the good fight. Lord, I thank you for the people here that are weary. I thank you for the people here that do not know you. But we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come And lift us up. Will you refill us, recharge us so we can go out into the world, fight the good fight of faith. And for those who don't know you, would you encounter them long before my words, Lord? Would you move in their heart? We pray that you would meet us here. Amen. So last month I was watching a movie. I'm not a rom-com. Does anybody here love rom-coms? Show of hands. Okay, rom-com is a romantic comedy. I learned that and I really like rom-com. But I'm not a fan of the actual genre, but every now and then I want to cry, so I'll put it on. So I I Google search what movies, what cute romantic movies, and so I find one, and I start watching it, and I'm like, man, this is kind of boring. Okay, so I'm still, I'm going to stick with it, and I start, I'm watching, I'm invested, and the premise of how it got me is that this couple falls in love. They fall in love, and then he finds out, he, uh, they get engaged, he finds out he has cancer, they cancel the engagement. They have these awesome best friends who are like, no, you need the best wedding, you need this, and so we're going to fundraise. So they did a GoFundMe, they did all these fundraisers so that they could have the dream engagement, dream wedding. Those are some good friends, right? Yeah, yeah, I would like those friends, I'm okay with that. And so they, um, so the movie is about that, and I'm watching, and they fall in love, Um, And what happens is we see Saul and Jin. Jin begins, uh, they fall in love, and Saul says one day, hey, I have this cancer, I have to start uh, chemo. So he starts chemo, and it's aggressive. 
and they're deciding to fight. And before they get engaged, Jin looks at Sol and says, hey, if we're going to do this, you have to promise me that when it's time to step up, you're going to step up. When it's time to fight, you're going to fight. And Sol's like, yes, of course. Fast forward to him having to go to the hospital, get a tumor removed, and everything is fine. Weeks later, they find out that the cancer comes back aggressive, and they have to start chemo. So he begins chemo, and he starts to lose his taste. Well, Sol is a chef, and that is everything to Sol. So he looks at Jen one day and says, I think I want to stop chemo. I actually think I would like to stop fighting. Taken aback, Jin says, no, we, we can't stop fighting. You, you can't stop fighting. Here in Timothy, we see that Paul gives us our first problem, that we're going to have a fight. There is a fight. And maybe you find yourself like Saul, where you're in a place where, where you want to give up. You were okay. You, at first, you were about it. You were about fighting for your marriage and friendships. But then the blows keep coming, and you're like, man, I think, I think I'd actually like to stop fighting. You were okay with fighting for family and reconciliation and restoration, but the blows keep coming, and you, you say, I think I'd like to stop. You're okay with fighting for your, for your finances or that job, the joy or the happiness, the positions, and even fighting for the passion for God. But something keeps happening. You keep getting hit, and you want to stop fighting. A beautiful moment that happens in the movie, and this is what got me. This is why I say, hey, I think I, think I actually like this movie, was that Jen ends up leaving. She, she takes a walk around the block, and she comes back, and she says, no, you're not going to give up. You don't get to that opportunity anymore because you have me. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop fighting. And she reminds him that it's not just fighting for your taste, fighting to be a chef, but it's fighting for your life. It's fighting for the marriage. It's fighting for their future. And what's great is that Paul does the same thing to Timothy when he says, fight the good fight of faith. There is a fight, but the good news, the solution, is that it's a good fight. So the word here for good, the Greek word is kalos, K-A-L-O-S, kalos, and it means beautiful. It's a beautiful fight to fight the good fight. It's beautiful when you fight for your marriage, because you're not just fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for the covenant that you made, not only with God, but with your spouse. And you're not just fighting for relationships, but you're fighting for covenant brothers and sisters. You're fighting for the community which God has called you to. And you're not just fighting for that future job. You're fighting the beautiful fight for a calling, for a purpose. And you're not just fighting for your happiness, but you're breaking generational curses of depression, of anxiety. The problem is you got to fight. But the good news is this is a good, beautiful fight. I love Paul's words. And as we continue, we see another problem. The problem is that you have to hold on. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here, Paul says, or sorry, saw, um, Paul, yes. Paul says, take hold of which is get a grip, 
get a strong grip of eternal life now. And if you're reading Take Hold of Eternal Life, you may think, man, take hold of the eternal life. Okay, so if you're like me, when I was younger, I learned this song about heaven. You know, we talk about heaven and eternal life, and there's this song. If you know it, you can sing along with me. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can throw football. Touchdown, yeah. A big, big house. It's my father's house. So when you're young, you learn this. And I have this, yes, there's going to be gold. I loved, uh, like, fruit punch when I was young. So I was like, fountains will have fruit punch. I can't wait to get to heaven. If you are taking hold to that eternal thought of heaven, you're in trouble. Because that is not going to hold on when you get punched with, with losing your job. When you get punched with a marriage that's fallen or your parents get divorced. That eternal life is not going to be worth it. If that is what you have in your head, I would like to get rid of that. Get rid of the many mansions. Get rid of the crowns of gold that you have in your mind. Because in John 17, 3, Jesus tells us what eternal life is. Right before he goes to the garden, he, or right before he goes to the cross to die, he goes and he prays for you and for me. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what we get with eternal life, that they, we would know God, that we would know him and have a relationship with him, that it's not something we have to wait for, but it's something we get to experience now. If we are just waiting for that eternal life when we get, oh, finally, finally, it's going to be hard to hold on. Get a grip of your relationship with God now. Get a hold of God right now. It's hard. I know it's hard to hold to the promises of God. And it's hard to remember when everything is coming against you and you're trying to hold on. Maybe you have this, you know God, but it's hard. I want to show you this picture. Of, this is a man hang gliding. Okay, he's getting ready to take off. Um, and then there's another picture. They realize he's not strapped in. So he goes off, he, he's in the air, and he is having to hold on. I thought this was a beautiful picture of what it looks like to hold on to the promises of God. There's another picture, I think, maybe. But there's another picture, or if it's this one, he begins to hold on and he looks down, and you can read the interview. There's a whole video you can watch, but I was terrified to watch that. He lives, praise God. But he is looking down. He looks down and says, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm here on vacation with my wife. This is my first time hang gliding. I'm going to die. I can't hold on for much longer. But if you look a little closely, you see that this pilot has his hand on him. He begins to hold on to him. So the problem may be that you have to hold on, but the solution is that you're not holding on alone. Verse 12 says, take hold of the eternal life. Yes, to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You are not alone. 
Paul reminds Timothy that the good confession, the confession that Jesus is the Lord of his life, the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the confession that Jesus has overcome every sin, shame, guilt, everything in the world was made in the presence of many witnesses. If you are here today and you gave your life to Jesus, you did so in the presence of somebody. You were baptized in the presence of somebody. I love that what Luminous does, when we had our baptism of Daniel Millar, he stood out there and we stood out there around him and we prayed over him. We witnessed him. Why? Because we know that you're going to go through troubles, but you're not alone. You made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So when we see that picture of, of the pilot holding the man and he's looking down going, man, I'm about to die. This is it. I have nothing left. The pilot actually held him and said, hey, we're going to make it. Hey, I'm going to find a place to land. Hey, I'm going to hold on to you. You don't let go. I'm not going to let go. You're going to make it. So I have a question for you. If you're sitting here and you think, I'm so tired of holding on, who is holding on to you? Who are you around? Who have you surrounded yourself to be in that community that we can hold you together? We are not called to do this alone. You are called to do this together. So if you're tired, if you're weary, ask yourself, who's holding on to me? And if the answer is no one, or I'm not sure, it's time to get connected. It's time to meet somebody in the foyer and go, hey, can we go to lunch? Because I need somebody to hold on to me. It's time for you to get some prayer and say, I need some people to hold on to me. I think next week we actually start um, life groups. You got to get in the life group so that when you are tired of holding on, somebody else is holding on to you. The problem may be that you have to hold on, but the beautiful solution is that you are not alone. The next problem we see while reading is that you get weary. In verse 11, Paul instructs Timothy from, to flee from all of this, and that's just talking about the previous verses of false teachings and greed, but he tells him to pursue, to run after, to go after these things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And what stood out to me the most was endurance. Everything else I understand, but after reading it, I thought, whoa, endurance. Why would he put that in there? And then I went to the dictionary and looked up endurance as a noun is the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. As an adjective means denoting or relating to a race or other sporting event that takes place over a long distance or otherwise demands great physical stamina. We are called to build endurance in our life with following Jesus. So we're talking about fight the good fight. And of course, you know, I thought like, oh, let's bring up boxing. I don't know much about boxing, but I looked up some stats. And so Muhammad Ali, who was one of the greatest, uh, I do know that much. Okay. So he trained six days a week for 14 weeks to prepare for one fight. Mike Tyson trained 60 hours, five, for 60 hours a week, five weeks before a fight. They're doing all of this training, the running. I was looking up. They like go running for six miles, and then they do a light walk, okay? And then they make sure that they're eating healthy and all the things. And I was looking at it, and I thought, this is insane. How long is an actual boxing match? Do you know how long a boxing match is? 
47 minutes. That's if they go the whole 12 rounds. You are doing all of this training for 47 minutes. That is a lot. And that is what we are called to do. How much more training, how much more endurance do we need to build for a lifelong fight of faith? We are going to get weary, but we are called to build stamina and endurance. The problem is you're going to get weary. And maybe you're like, yes, I've been weary. I don't know how to get out of the weariness. Verse 13 and the solution. In the sight of a God who gives life to everything. God gives life to everything. The problem is that we are going to get weary. But you have a God who wants, who desires to give you life. So are you tired? Are you weary? Are you waking up and giving everything you have day in and day out and finding yourself not being able to hold on? Finding yourself not being able to go on? Fight the good fight because you haven't gone to God who gives life. God is our solution. He wants, he longs to give you energy and life and stamina to continue on. He reminds us how to fight the good fight. He is the one that sustains us. Just like in boxing rings, when they ding that bell to signify, thank you, that the round is over. So you have these two boxers. If you've never watched a match, they fight, they come in, they fight for three minutes, and then there's a bell, and they go to their separate corners. And in those corners, they meet with their trainers, and there they get, they get cleaned up. They see if there's any bleeding, any of that stuff, and they get talked to. Hey, you have to, you have to move a little faster. You got to bob here, weave here. Hey, you need to strike here. And they get this, this, this refilling so that they can go out for another three minutes. And then the same thing happens. They begin to fight and they go back into their respective corners. We are called to do that same thing. And I love that when I picture that and I picture God as our trainer. Where we wake up and we have to go, okay, all right, we're ready I got, I got my word in, okay, I'm going out into the world, and I'm going to go fight, and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to stand firm so, so nobody can call me a hypocrite. I'm going to stand firm so people can see me as a witness for Christ. Man, I'm weary, I'm weary. Are you listening to the dinging bell to t- remind you to go back to God to get your life? Are you waiting for that dinging bell to come back the next morning? You do not have to wait. We are not called to wait. Three minutes, they fight, and then they go back. The Bible talks about never ceasing in your prayer. Why? Because it's a fight. 47 minutes for them, a lifetime for us. And God calls us to go to our corners. And it's not so he can tell us, hey, you're not doing well here. You're not doing this here. No, I don't know. If you hear that voice, that is not the voice of God. Because my God says, hey, daughter, I need you to stand up firm. Hey, daughter, I need you to bob here and weave here. Hey, follow me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. My God never says, hey, you missed that. Hey, you missed that too. If that's the God you hear, I want to tell you that is a lie from the enemy. That is a lie to distract you from your purpose, your plan, your calling. You got to fight to get that time with the Lord. You have to go to him daily, moment to moment. How do you do that? Man, you take a Sabbath. 
you gotta take a Sabbath. I was not, I was never like taught a Sabbath until I stepped into ministry. But a Sabbath is really your day. It's not even, I wouldn't even call it a day off. I have to be careful because a day off, I get my errands done. I get all this stuff done. But a Sabbath is made so you can take apart, take, take time with God. And you remind, he reminds you, he refreshes you. And you're reminded that I am, I am something even if I'm not productive. I am someone even if I'm not doing all of the errands. I just need a moment to rest with you, God. I need a moment to be encouraged by you, God. You gotta take a Sabbath. If you, or your college, I remember when I was in college and I worked two jobs and I thought, I don't have time for a Sabbath. Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma, I believe, he said last week, he said, this is controversial, but you have time for what you make time for. And that is so true. If you wanted a day off, because you, if you wanted to watch Netflix, you make time to do that. If you wanted to make sure that you could go to the mall, you make time to do that. We have to make time to spend time with the Lord, not just so we can check something off, not just so we can, ah, oh, yeah, I did that, make it Instagram pretty. No, it's so that we can be refreshed, ready to fight, to go after him. It's, so a Sabbath, man, if you, there's a book called The Art of Rest. We'll get that. You got to get that so you can learn how to Sabbath. And are you spending time with God? Not just in your car and on your way to drop the kids off or on your way to class. Let me put my, my AirPods in, make sure I get my worship song in because I got a test in a minute. You know, I'm going to go. But are you sitting with him and making the space so that you can hear him and he can hear your heart and you can connect with him? Are you worshiping God for who he is? Not because you need him another day, not because you need him to do something for you, because you need him to sustain you. God, you are, you are worthy. God, you are holy. God, you are almighty. If you say these things, you begin to get refreshed yourself. You got to spend time with God. How do we fight the good fight, church? We go to our corner and we meet with God. We meet with him and he gives us instruction on how to fight. Because specifically, you're going to need to know, how do I fight this fight? If you go to him, he will instruct you. You got to get up and commit to fight the good fight. Waking up and going, I'm going to fight today. I'm going to choose to fight. I'm going to choose to forgive this person. I'm going to choose to love this person. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And moment to moment, maybe you have to remind yourself, hey, I rem I, I'm going to fight. No, I'm not putting it down. I'm going to fight. And you have to hold on to eternal life. I saw this meme that was two people running. And so this is, this is 2020 and this is 22. And it said, me still processing 2020 and 2022 in four months. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm still processing this last year of heartache and my emotions being everywhere. But last year, you may have had a good year, honestly, and if you did, that's awesome. If you got to spend more time with your family, I love that. I am not, this is not me being negative Nancy. But it's, last year was so hard. And I had a moment, so I've been doing campus ministry for three and a half years, and I love campus ministry. I love being able to connect students to Jesus. What got me into campus ministry was in 2011, I had just graduated high school, and Pastor Ben was my college pastor, and he invited me somewhere to our regional retreat, 
So I go with students from all over Texas. It's like three, 400 students. And I begin to look. And there's these 20-year-olds worshiping Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's so amazing. I thought you had to wait till you were older. Honestly, that was my mindset. And so when I saw that you could do it right now, I said, I want to do that. I want to help students. I want to help young people discover their love for Jesus. And so I got involved and I helped. I came here to help start the church and I was doing all this stuff. But last year, there was a moment that I wanted to give up. I wrote an email. I talked to my mom. I was talking to all kinds of people going, I don't know if I can do this. As a campus minister and as me just trying to work and walk in my confidence and obedience and what, the God, what God has called me, when it comes to standing up for things, I get shy. Because people are very loud and there was a moment where I was talking with people about race and the, the issues that we were having, the social injustice issues. And there was a moment where somebody looked at me and said, everything you're saying is a lie. No, that's not true. Black people don't go through that. And for me, it was like, whew, I can't tell them how I feel because I'm a minister. I can't do that. I have to be kind. I have to be loving. I have to be the peacemaker. And I had this weird distortion. And so I, I wrote an email and I said, I think that this isn't for me because my, I can't walk like this. I can't live like this. And, and I got a phone call from somebody who's like my boss in uh, every nation in Nashville. And she is a, a black woman as well. And she called me and she said, hey, I know that it's hard. And you can quit. That is an option. But I want to remind you why you can't quit, why you shouldn't quit. It's because they need to see Jesus. These people need to have an encounter. And I don't remember, honestly, I don't remember everything that she said. But what clicked with me was that it wasn't about me anymore. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was about serving other people so that, so that they would see him. So I love being a black woman, okay? I love being a black woman that loves Jesus because that makes me being able to serve people better and they get to see a different perspective of what they thought black people were about. They thought that they were one way, but no, we're actually, we love the Lord and that we can get down and that we can have so much fun and all of these things. And I began to have more interactions with people after that conversation. I had an interaction with that same person and the, the relationship just built. And she began to say, man, I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad that you are here. I had a moment on that phone call with my friend where she said, hey, I know you're tired and weary from holding on, but I'm gonna hold on to you and I'm gonna remind you why you have to stay here. So she was so, she was a great pivotal moment of just the reminder of that if I can't hold on because I'm trying to fight the good fight, I can't hold on, but she's going to hold on for me. She's going to remind me that she's going to push me to my corner so I can be with Jesus. And so I went to Jesus and I went to my corner and I said, God, I need to be refreshed. God, I need to be reminded of your good news. I need to be reminded of why I'm here. I need to be reminded of my purpose. And so now I can get back in the ring and I can fight. I can live this life ready for whatever comes at me because I have people holding on to me because I remember the fight, the good fight of faith. We're going to take a moment, and this may be awkward for you, but we're going to take a moment where we're going to walk out our faith. We're going to activate our faith. We're going to, to, to fight the good fight with this. 
If you are weary, if you're tired, if you've been holding on and you need some strength, will you stand? I want to pray for you. If you need an encouragement, you need a refreshing from God, will you stand? Because I want to pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your people. We thank you that you give us strength to fight the good fight. We thank you that you give us the ability to fight the good fight. You alone sustain us, God. You are the life that gives life to everything. So I just ask right now that you would refresh your people right now, Jesus. That you would give an extra pouring out on your people who are weary, Father. Would we be a church that holds one another up? Would they get involved in a community, Father? Lord, would you refresh us from heartache? Would you give us the ability to fight the good fight so we could be a witness in our classrooms, on the campus, in the workforce, in our families, Jesus? In your name I pray. Amen. And so if you're listening today, I also want to pray for you if you, you would like the good confession. If you hear about the fighting, you hear about this, and you say, everybody can stand, sorry. If everybody wants to stand, we're almost, we're going to close out. But you heard about the good confession. You heard about this life. You hear about this, and you say, I want that. This is the good news, that we live in a fallen, broken world, that Jesus would look down and say, I need to save them. They need a savior. So Jesus would come. He would step off of his throne and he would embark in a world that hated him. He would live a perfect, sinless life, but he would die a death that was for you and for me because we are broken, but Jesus himself was whole as God's son. So he died on the cross, paying the debt for you and I, he was buried, and three days later, he would rise again, proving that he was the Son of God. But when he died, he took on the guilt, the shame, your sin, well, everything that you would go through. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that he is the ultimate overcomer. He now sits on the right hand of God, and we worship him for who he is. He did all of this so that we could have a relationship, so that we would know God and know Jesus. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and the presence of many witnesses. When this happens, it's solidified your relationship with Jesus. So if you want to do that, we are going to pray this prayer. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, you would just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. I am a sinner. I have fallen short, and I am need, I'm in need of a Savior. Thank you for dying for my sins and raising again, proving that you are the Son of God. Today, I give you my life in return for all of you. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy that follows us, God. We thank you that you delight in your children. We praise you for the people that said yes to you, God. We thank you so much that you see us, that you are with us, that you fight 
with us and for us. God, I pray that today we would be encouraged to not give up, to hold on and find those who are holding us up, and to always go after you to give us life and to sustain us, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.